you don't need to have uh, 20 years of uh, gardening experience or you don't need, you know, to come from a farm or, or from a rural uh, environment to start growing your own food. And also you don't need a garden, you know, you can uh, really uh, use a windowsill, you can use a small balcony or a small outdoor space and, uh, and you can actually grow a lot. Welcome to the spring edition of our podcast. Are you feeling the itch to get your hands dirty and start growing some fresh veggies? You are not alone. In today's episode, we are diving into the world of gardening. We'll explore how school gardens are transforming communities in Nigeria and in the USA, and we'll get our green thumbs in gear with practical tips from the French gardener on how to grow your own food, even if you live in a city apartment with only a balcony to spare. Did you also get the basil trauma when after a week or so the basil plant that you bought miserably died? No worries, it was not your fault and we'll tell you why. So roll up your sleeves and get ready to dig in. This is an episode you won't want to miss. Locale. Local. Shock. Local. Cambiamento. Tapir. Gerdelecta. Sacula Idaia. Food. Change. Slow food. The podcast. Hello everyone and welcome to Slow Food, the podcast that takes you on a journey through the beauty and complexity of good, clean and fair food systems. And yes, you heard well, we changed our name. From now on, the Sphin podcast will turn into Slow Food, the podcast. I'm Valentina Gritti, I'm your host and a Slow Food Youth Network activist. In this podcast, we'll meet change makers around the world who are working towards a more sustainable food system and promote a slow lifestyle. Alright, so in an episode on gardening, it was a must for me to interview Ola Jumoke Rachel Okeola from Ibadan in Nigeria. She's a revolutionary young woman who has invested her personal time, effort and finances in order to set up a high school garden and introduce an alternative teaching method in the school. The school where Rachel teaches has about 150 students, of which about 60 are regularly dedicated to the garden. Uh, how did you get the idea of starting a school garden? Okay, um... The idea to start a school garden um, started when I resumed work as a teacher. You know, as a student myself, when I was still in high school, I hated, you know, sitting for a long time in class and learning theories. It's boring to me. I needed something more practical. And, you know, when, while teaching the students, I realized it's kind of the same thing, like um, teaching them the same thing we've been mm -hmm. taught over and over and the students don't have an hands-on experience of what we are teaching them. So I decided to, okay, start the school garden where we could actually break out of the uh, classroom uh, mentality and get the students to till the ground, like walk, get their hands dirty and experience the practicality of what we are teaching them. And how big is the garden? Um, the garden is about um, about half of a football pitch. We have a raised bed for the fruit section, and uh, the vegetables are actually in one part. We know that part is just for vegetables. Whenever we try to grow, we know the part is just for vegetables. And then the new ones we introduced, uh, like the the uh, granules and the cowpea, are also in one section of the garden. But the pepper plants are actually grown in tires, in uh, used tires. We got tires from uh, the streets and other places and, you know, filled with soil and 
we grew the pepper plants in the tires. And, um, and where do you get the seeds for the garden? For the green, the greens, uh, the vegetables, we, we save seeds. It's been one of our, you know, the, the, the plants we grow year in, year out. So most times during the dry season, we leave them to dry and then we harvest the seeds. So the uh, vegetable seeds are gotten from uh, seed saving. But the initial seeds were gotten from the students and from some of the teachers who had the seeds at home. Probably they, those that had the home gardens and could actually spare us some of the seeds. And later on, we started saving the seeds and we have more seeds now to grow. And also for the okra seed, the okra seed was also gotten from uh, gardeners, uh, teachers that practice home gardening. Um, pepper seeds were gotten from my own home garden. The watermelon seeds were gotten from watermelons we we ate, we bought from the market, we ate and then we saved the seeds. Rachel tells me that gardening is a learning experience for the students. It's great for them to be able to grow their own food and eat something healthy together. And their feedback has always been, oh, I'll go and try my own garden, I'll start my garden. And most of the students have actually come to us to get seeds from us because they are interested in starting their own gardens. So I feel that it's we we can't really uh, boast of a 100% uh, change or a 100% transformation, probably that the students have, um, you know, shifted from eating fast food. But we can guarantee that, like, um, over 20% of the students so, so far has gotten interest in growing their own food and, you know, in ensuring that they, they practice organic gardening and, you know, eat something fresh. Amazing. And so um, you mentioned also that you cook the vegetables at the school. So do you, do you have like, a, is it like at the school canteen or do you have a kitchen at the garden? No, we don't have a school canteen. But we have a kitchen where the um, home science students and nutrition students actually carry out their practicals. So um, we, re uh, we know that if we are to harvest, uh, we, if we should harvest from the garden, most of the students might not get fair share of the harvest. So the best thing we could do is to cook together so they cannot get a taste of what they worked on. So we do cook from the, in the uh, food and nutrition lab and um, the students gather there together to eat from the harvest. Okay, super cool. And so yesterday you told me that um, you are planning now to start a cafe with university students with the products from the garden, right? Can you tell me something about that project? Okay, so um, this is in a collaboration with a youth center in the University of Ibadan, Building Nations Initiative. So, um, they saw the work we've been doing in the garden and thought we could actually create something uh, beautiful together. And we came up with the idea of starting a cafe where students can be able to come in to eat food because we realized that most of the students rely so much on junks and fast food and most of them skip breakfast and some of the important meals of the day. So we decided to start a cafe where they can actually get food and uh, at affordable rates. So far, we've not really been making income from our garden. It's just been, you know, sharing harvest with teachers, with the school or the school leaders, and some other community members that are interested in some of the harvest. We've not used it to generate income. 
So we felt, okay, we could actually start grow more and be supplying the cafe with fresh vegetables and other fresh harvests that we have from the garden so that they can be able to prepare food with it and also provide good and healthy foods for the students. Reche also has some advice for teachers who are interested in starting their garden at school. It takes passion and um, you know interest to actually establish a school garden and follow up with it. <laughs> it's not just about having a grand idea of starting a school garden and then you know getting to face the reality to see it. It's it's more difficult in practice than it is in thoughts. So you have to have the tenacity and um, you know commitment to actually go through a, starting a school garden project. And the second advice is that um, as teachers, we should also be willing to learn. It's true that I started the school garden project as a medium of teaching my students practical lessons. But so far, I must confess that I have learned more from the students than I have taught them. Because the students have, you know, they, they come from different communities where, you know, they have different methods that works for them. Some of them are children of farmers. Some of them are farmers in their neighborhood. And they've actually learned some little things from them, picked up some lessons from them, which they bring to the garden to, you know, implement. And so far, it's really been a great learning from them. So it's it's very advisable for teachers to also you know be humble enough to learn from the students. As a teacher, you should actually be open to exploring other methods of reaching your students. What works for me was to actually introduce a practical medium to teach my students, which I have seen great results from. Students are not dumb. We have even just found a good way to reach out to them. But once you find that method that works, you realize that the students you feel is actually done, is very smart after all. And um, and also, Rachel, you, you mentioned in the beginning like that you need to, to have tenacity, you know, to, to work with the garden. Um, I wanted to ask you, what is like the biggest uh, challenge that you faced? Is it more involving the students or is it more keeping up with the gardening itself? Is it the planning? The first challenge I faced was finance because you know it was my uh, it was my idea and you know sometimes <laughs> this is not so this is just like the reality we face sometimes when it comes to executing some projects that people have not seen how successful it will be you might not get the help you need. They will feel, okay, since it's just your idea, you can continue with it. So when I started, I had to, you know, invest personal, you know, in like invest financially from my personal savings just to make it work and let people know that, oh, this is actually something that can work. This is a great idea. And I must confess that it's only this year that we've started seeing um, results is this year we started seeing people applauding our efforts because they see what we've been doing they've seen the transformation in the students and they know that it wasn't a waste of time so that's why i said it takes 
you know, commitment. It takes your passion and interest and it takes tenacity to continue. Sometimes you have to use your funds if you don't have external support. Sometimes you have to watch The Guardian and, you know, there are times the students are also unmotivated, but you have to just remind them of the reason why you started. Next one on the list, I wanted to meet Kat Glenn. Kat is the community leader of Slow Food Houston. And especially kids, they, you know, at first they're kind of like, eh, gardening, but once they really start getting into it, they absolutely love it. And they always find that one plant that they just kind of adopt, and then that is their plant. Kat has a background in agricultural conservation and regenerative farming and got this passion from her grandparents who had a beautiful farm in Durango in Texas. It was just so much fun to be out there with my grandparents, with their cows and their turkeys and just being with them was absolutely so much fun that I switched from veterinary work to just agricultural conservation. The Saturday following my interview with Kat, which would be April 22nd, she launched a big school and community garden in Houston and she explained to me the importance of having such initiatives to have a positive change in big cities. With any large metropolitan area, you will have people that are in the poverty area and levels that do not have access to food and enough food and especially healthy foods. It tends to be the processed TV dinners and lunch meats and very filling but not healthy foods that they gain access to. So with school gardens and community gardens, we can bridge that gap to help them get free, nutritious food that they need. The garden we're putting in Saturday, which is why I'm on my phone instead of my computer, is uh, in a very low-income area, and a lot of them face food insecurities. So this school garden will also be a community garden because the kids will get to bring home food to their families. And so one more step in a wonderful system to help each other out. Kat is setting up a huge school garden to educate students, but also to provide them with healthy food. We're talking about a couple of hundreds of students here. Yeah, it's a massive, massive garden, and we have never done one on this level. We're trying a whole new concept of a sustainable garden for these kids where it's very low, low work for high yields. These kids, I used to do fostering, and a lot of these kids, I had one kid come in, they didn't even know you could make a chicken nugget. They just thought chicken, like fried chicken, just came from this like magic world where chicken just pops into reality. And so I had to sit there and go, ah, no, no, chicken is a whole process starting with farmers. And when they come from those places, you really need to teach them why it's important and how to prepare it because these are foreign foods to a lot of kids when they're low income. And it's a shame that as big and vast as America is, we still have kids not getting basic food. Kat's school garden is part of the Plant a Seed campaign. 
coordinated by Slow Food USA, which invites school garden educators and individuals to bring biodiversity, flavor and history into their gardens. Kat mentions that they are all volunteers supported by the local community. With the Plant the Seed campaigns, we focus on education with that one group of food that you'll get with the seeds. So this year it's uh, greens. And so we help them learn how to prepare greens, what vitamins and minerals come from greens. And it's like last year was beans. So last year, how beans can work in a garden, help a garden grow, as well as why it's important for a diet. And kids can learn how to prepare the foods using them. And um, from the school point of view, uh, how can they um, get like the the kit and like all this program with slow food? Like, do they have like to to buy the package? To do they have to pay a fee, or is it also like donation based? Or how does it yep. work? It is a hundred percent donation based. We do not ask anything from the schools because we like to serve the underfunded areas. In addition to the school garden, Slow Food Houston is also planning to activate other community gardens in the city. So keep an eye on their social media if you want to see the progress of their activities. And now let's get practical. How can you grow your own veggies on the balcony? We asked the expert on the matter, Patrick, who calls himself the French gardener a urban gardening influencer, author and teacher who has been growing food on his balcony in the busy Amsterdam, Paris and now Berlin. Patrick has a background that has nothing to do with gardening, he used to work in marketing for big companies, until one day an impulse buying act changed his life. I was about, you know, to go in a gardening center. I wanted to buy like some flowers, you know, for my uh, small balcony, just like most people do, you know, like when uh, it's sunny again, so you want to have like some flowers on your balcony. Uh, and actually, um, yeah, of course, I bought flowers, but I also bought uh, seeds of uh, lettuce and uh, radishes and uh, tomatoes. And just like this, you know, like as an impulse uh, buying act, I would say. Um, and basically, it all started like this. And I came back home and I was like... Uh, what should I do with these seeds? Like, uh, is one seed of lettuce, would it give birth to one lettuce? Or should I plant uh, 10 or 20 seeds to have one lettuce? I really didn't know. And it all started like this. And, and what happened to your first lettuce? Did it grow in the end? <laughs> yes, but I planted way too many seeds in the same pot. <laughs> so yeah, they grew. But of course, like, uh, I think it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's like something, you know, in the beginning, you always want to do more to be sure that you will have at least, you know, uh, one lettuce that will uh, sprout. Uh, and in the end, yeah, I ended up with uh, 20 lettuce in a super small pot. I feel you. <laughs> But it worked, you know, it worked. So for me, it was, a, it was the first time I planted a seed in my life. Uh, so it worked. So I was fascinating. And I remember, I think it's my first post uh, on Instagram where I say, it actually works. <laughs> so, yeah. Were you in Paris when you started planting things? I was in uh, in Amsterdam the first time. It was yeah like four years ago, and I think that's why I'm um, yeah I'm trying you know to to show to people that uh, you don't need you know to uh, 
uh, have uh, 20 years of uh, gardening experience or you don't need, you know, to come from a farm or, or from a rural, you know, uh, environment to start growing your own food. Um, and also you don't need a garden, you know, you can uh, really uh, use a windowsill, you can use a small balcony or a small outdoor space and, uh, and you can actually grow a lot. Okay, so I have no idea on how you can grow things in the balcony <laughs> or how you can grow things indoors. I've tried sometimes like to grow tomatoes, but without success. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so like if you if someone listens to this podcast and has never planted anything in his or her own life, so how can they start? Like what is the easiest thing that they can do? Yeah, so yeah, that's a, that's a very good question. I think like um, before just answering your question, I just want to uh, talk about something that uh, I talk in my books also. Uh, I call it, you know, like the basal trauma. Uh, you know, it's this like a wonderful pot of basil that you buy in a supermarket uh, and it looks so fresh. It's so healthy and you bring it back home and after three or four days, it dies, you know. And then this little, you know, uh, basil pot like is becoming a trauma, you know, because it makes you think that you don't have a green thumb and uh, that gardening is not for you. Actually, this basil is not intended to grow further. Uh, there are way too many basil plants in a super small pot. So even if you water it, yeah, okay, good. <clears throat> you water it. But um, the key is also to give room to nature. And actually in this little pot of basil, To have a healthy basil plant, you only need one plant, not 20 or 25. So that's why this basil, you know, dies after three days. It doesn't have room to grow further and it doesn't have enough nutrients in the soil to basically feed the plant. And so when you start understanding this, you already, you know, made a huge step to think about like, okay, so next time I will buy this little basil pot. Actually, you can divide uh, the pot into five little groups. And after, replant the smaller groups of plants uh, in a big pot. And then, if you give it some sun, if you give it some love, of course, uh, and a fresh soil that contains nutrients, then this basil will continue to grow. So I think for me, the, the first advice is, uh, yeah, give room to nature and don't underestimate the importance of starting with a great soil. Like, uh, that's also what I say to a lot of people. Yeah, don't start with a cheap, uh, you know, universal potting mix that you can find in supermarkets. Uh, it's not great quality. Start and invest in a quality soil designed to grow vegetables. And on, honestly, if you start doing this, you will have much more success. Um, and, uh, and yeah, and, uh, and now to answer your question, I think the easiest one for me to start um, would be probably lettuce um, to grow. Uh, it's actually pretty easy and you can even, you know, grow it in a, a window pot, for instance. Um, radishes also. Uh, radishes are very easy to grow uh, from seeds uh, and you, go, you can grow them like uh, during like a lot of months, actually. So yeah, I would say lettuce and, uh, and radishes. So if you want to start, focus on these plants that will grow fast because you will learn And you will see also the result of what you did in a short amount of time. Okay. And Patrick, you also mentioned the importance of the soil. But for example, if we want to buy like a high quality soil, is it still something that 
you buy that it's like already made or is there a way that you can buy like a normal soil that you would find in a supermarket in spring and then you can make it better yourself by adding i don't know nutrients or, or something you can for sure um because like uh, i think what people can do is like actually you know like uh, Um, if you buy and if you have a cheap soil or if you have, you know, like all the soil in your pots already, uh, what you can definitely do is to enrich it with more nutrients and also with compost. So you can make your own compost at home uh, and then you can, you know, bury, uh, decompose the food scraps in your soil. Uh, for instance, I use uh, what we call a bokashi composter um, and bokashi compost is like a easy it's just simply a bucket you put food scraps in it you let it decompose you have a compost tea that is a fertilizer and on top of that when the food scraps are decomposed you can after place them in the soil and it will enrich the soil again so yes after you can also buy basically quality compost also you know uh, and mix this quality compost with old soil to enrich it again so you can indeed do both ways um I just think that, yeah, if you're um, new to gardening, it's always better to first start with like a, a great soil that you buy. And then after you can make your own experiment and learn more and make your own uh, soil mix, etc., etc. And um, what are the, like, the most common errors that people do when they're starting to plant? Well, you already said like to put all the seeds <laughs> together or like too many in the same pot, but also some other common mistakes. Yeah, I think the, the common mistake also is to forget to fertilize the plants. Because um, even if you start with a fresh soil, Um, basically, a new soil will have around six to eight weeks maximum of nutrients uh, available for the plants. So after these six, eight weeks, you need to fertilize your soil because uh, you need to continue to add basically like these nutrients to the soil so that the soil assimilate all these nutrients and then give it back to the plants. You can use, for instance, uh, eggshells. Uh, so by crushing eggshells, you can mix it like uh, uh, within your soil. You can use also coffee grounds. Uh, coffee grounds are uh, very rich uh, in nitrogen and all plants need nitrogen to grow. So coffee grounds is, um, is really good. You can reuse, like, of course, like uh, uh, all your vegetal food scraps. So there are a lot of things, you know, that you could do to fertilize. And after, <clears throat> indeed, you can, of course, you know, uh, buy, uh, I would say, uh, organic fertilizer, healthy ones, uh, such as... Uh, seaweed fertilizer such as also manure uh, basically it's like the poo from uh, animals uh, or whatever that we can reuse also to enrich our soil and uh, and i think this is what's cool you know in also in gardening it's everything is a cycle um, and uh, and in the end there is really no waste like uh, all the waste that we call waste as a function back in the ecosystem to grow food again so this is what's fascinating i feel mm. And then, so you should like fertilize the plants every six weeks, more or less? It depends on the varieties. Um, you know, like there are like some varieties that don't need a lot of nutrients. Uh, so for instance, like uh, lettuce uh, don't need a lot of nutrients. Uh, basil don't need a lot of nutrients, you know, over time. Um, and after you have what we call the, the heavy feeders. And the heavy feeders are the plant that will take a lot of time to grow and that will need a lot of energy to produce fruits or vegetables. So it's the case of 
tomatoes. It's the case of uh, aubergine, courgette, zucchini, uh, all, you know, like these big plants uh, that need a lot of nutrients. So, so yeah, once you start to understand this, you can also adapt the way you fertilize your plants depending on the variety. In some cities, you can also get some compost or enriched soil from community gardens. Sometimes you can also bring your organic waste to the community garden and have it composted directly there. And um, Patrick, you talked uh, so about soils and like seeds, but for example, the containers, like which type of pots would you suggest using for a starter? But honestly, what the beauty is that you can use a lot of different containers. Um, for instance, you can buy, uh, you know, like some recycled plastic uh, pots if you want. But you can also indeed use uh, terracotta, and uh, terracotta is basically, of course, a natural resource. So it's even better because it doesn't uh, create pollution. So there is terracotta. But after, you can reuse a lot of containers. So for instance, you know, you can turn uh, bottles. You can turn also, you know, like a, like big uh, water container, you know, uh, that you can find in a big, uh, I don't know, like a commercial center or whatever. You know, they have like these huge. Uh, like a bottle container, you can basically turn it into a container to grow your food. Uh, you can reuse uh, bags also. For me, the key is not the type of container. The key is the size of the container. Uh, that's the key. Because um, a, like to give you an example, a tomato plant, if you want to have a nice tomato plant, you should have only one tomato plant in a container of 20 liters. So um, you see, it's, it's actually a lot, you know, but if you want to have a healthy plant and a healthy productive one, yeah, they need room to grow and uh, nutrients and uh, the plants need to be happy, you know, and, uh, and you have to understand that, yeah. So for example, in the case of the tomato and the 20 liter spot, would you suggest like just putting one seed in the middle of the 20 liter spot? Or no, how would you do it? No, actually, it's better to start um, your uh, seedling. So you, you start, you know, like uh, you just take a, a little cup. You put one seed in this little cup. When the seed sprouts, you let it develop. And uh, of course, it's always better to start inside because like tomato plants need, you know, a lot of warmth. Uh, they hate cold weather. Uh, they need a lot of sun. So you always like start them inside with a lot of warmth. And after when they are like... Uh, kind of, I would say, like, yeah, 10 to 20 centimeters. Then after you put them in the pot of 20 liters outside. And that's the way, basically, to, um, to grow tomato. It's, uh, it's way better like this. And um, if by any chance some of our listeners have a balcony towards the north, do they have any hope of growing anything or not at all? Yeah, I would say in gardening, like, for sure, you know, you... And especially to grow food, you need, uh, of course, like some sun, you know, like uh, sun is essential. So we were talking about tomatoes. If you want to have healthy tomato plants, you need in average between four and six hours of direct sun on the plants so that the plant is happy. Um, so if you are like a north exposure, like full north and that you have like, a, like just a little bit of sun, Yeah, then don't grow tomatoes. But you can grow a lot of like uh, leafy greens, for instance, you know. Uh, they are like, for instance, like um, 
kind of um, um, perennial plant. Uh, it's called French sorrel. And French sorrel is a perennial plant. So basically, you plant it one time and it will continue to grow and come back every year if that, the plant is healthy. And this plant doesn't need a lot of sun. Like, uh, so, you know, that's, for instance, like, a, like an alternative that you can have. Uh, there are some varieties of uh, kale that don't need a lot of sun. There are also like uh, some varieties of radishes, especially if you grow in, um, in summer, also that don't need a lot of sun. So you can grow, but of course, yeah, you won't be able to grow like uh, beautiful tomatoes, aubergines and stuff like this. Yeah. Mm. And Patrick, could you share with us some experiments that you have made, like the craziest thing you have tried to grow? <laughs> Well, um, this year, actually, I'm going to try to grow dragon fruits. Uh, so mm. it's a tropical plant. <laughs> so I would say like a dragon fruits in Berlin. Let's see, you know what it does, but, uh, but, uh, but, uh, but I will try. I think for me, like a super cool experiment was actually to grow ginger. Um, you know, like you just make your ginger uh, sprout. After you put it in a pot, it develops into a plant. And after, when you put it outside in a big pot, it grows new ginger uh, in the soil. And I think for me, it was fascinating ginger because ginger is also, like, you know, uh, in a way, a tropical plant. Um, and yeah, the experiment that I tried and I was saying in my head, yeah, okay, it's going to lead nowhere. Uh, it was like to, uh, to grow pumpkins. And actually, it worked because I, I had like some, uh, like two or three pumpkins. Like it was like, uh, the small pumpkins, like the Hokkaido uh, variety that is actually very delicious. Um, but yes, but I planted it into a, a small pot. Quoi. And this type of plants, like, yeah, they need really like massive, like a uh, volume soil to, uh, to grow LCD. What does your balcony look like? <laughs> a jungle? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Depends on the season, uh, but uh, but I would say that right now, uh, yeah, I can say that in the next two weeks, I will start to replant everything outside. And yes, I hope it will look very sun to a, a huge jungle, a urban jungle with uh, lots of plants and lots of fruits and uh, veggies everywhere, because uh, yeah, that's what makes me happy. I guess you're already thinking about which seeds you can plant, aren't you? I feel you. I hope you got inspired by this episode and if you found it useful, share it with your network and your friends so that you can support us. Or if you want, you can also write us a review. And why don't you tag us in your garden photo? This is Valentina Gritti and you have listened to Slow Food, the podcast. Mm-hmm.